But one thing I know I was doing right is I was getting lit up on fire by the far left and the far right in equal amounts, meaning that I was probably doing something right for most Americans. Today's episode is sponsored by HEB Curbside and Delivery. When life throws you a loop, HEB Curbside and Delivery is here to help. We shop how you shop, so you get exactly what you want. Order today at HEB.com. HEB Curbside and Delivery, it's never been easier to shop HEB. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Um, I'm always thrilled when I learn about people, organizations around the country that are doing their part to try and help bridge our divides. I'm so excited to have been introduced to our guest today. His name is Joseph Kopser, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him um, and his organization called Us or U.S. Tomorrow. And um, it's all about us, and it's all about tomorrow. I love that name. So in a nutshell, this is a nonprofit that is building cross partisan coalitions to increase civic participation and reduce hyper-partisanship. Now, one of the things that I love about what Joseph has written in his message on the website is this. This isn't about flipping blue. This isn't about turning red or throwing bums out. It's about supporting our democracy by strengthening the bridge between communities and candidates and reintroducing the tools that deliver respect, compromise, progress, and perhaps most important, a higher expectation of civic participation and public service. Joseph, welcome to the show, and I am thrilled that you have undertaken this project. Well, thanks, Linda. I appreciate you uh, researching us and then also uh, taking interest in what we're doing. And you got that quite right. And I just now realize what a mouthful that is uh, to hear somebody read it back. But we are taking on a big challenge. And I think, frankly, we have no choice but to take it on because otherwise the status quo is just really not working. So let's, before you start talking about this new nonprofit, because it is relatively new, you ran for Congress um, and lost in the general election in Austin, Texas in 2018. Why did you run? What was your impetus? Well, so I ran because that's just kind of what's in my DNA and who I am. Uh, from the various early ages as a sixth grader growing up as a kid, uh, I had a teacher, Mrs. Audrey Grievous, and she was a civil rights icon of the 1950s and 60s. I mean, she's one of those women that was quite literally as a teenager standing at the counter demanding service uh, despite the color of her skin. And so you can imagine in the early 80s what it was like as a skinny little kid listening to her not only tell those stories, but more importantly, put in, instill in me and so many others that she had over the years, this idea that when you see a problem, go and fix it. Just go and fix it. Don't wait on others. When you see a problem, go and fix it. And so you can imagine then what happened in 2016. I mean, our politics started to collapse. We saw divisions in society that I thought had been fixed years ago. And people were choosing their political label before they were choosing uh, sides of an issue based on the facts or based on what was going on. And that's when I decided that with the success I'd had in the military and in business, it was time for me to return to public service 
and and run. And I struggled for quite a while with even what party to run in because, uh, you know, I grew up a Ronald Reagan Republican for the first 20 plus years of my life. I was a uh, independent or registered as no party for the 20 plus years I was in the United States military in the army. And then I only ran uh, recently as a Democrat listing myself as a Democrat for the first time ever, just because the Republican Party that I knew, I think, had, had kind of sort of lost its way uh, with some issues over the last few years. And so at the end of the day, I ran to try to fix the problem of trying to remind people we have more in common than that what separates us. And uh, there's all kinds of things from the trail we, I'm happy to talk about and what I learned. Uh, but one thing I know I was doing right is I was getting lit up on fire by the far left and the far right in equal amounts, meaning that I was probably doing something right for most Americans. Exactly. Exactly. It's so interesting because, as you know, as we talked a little bit briefly, um, when I started this podcast, it was right after the 2016 election, or not when I started it, but when I decided I had to do something, the same thing. And I thought also about running for office and decided, you know, for me, it wasn't the right time in my life, but that this was something that, that I could do. So it's interesting that, you know, we're sort of on the, on the same path. And I think we're, we're not unique. There are, there are thousands and probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the country who are doing their little bit to help remind us of what it is that that brings us together. So in terms of your background, you're an entrepreneur, you've had your own businesses, etc. Um, and I know there is a, a business component um, to what you are doing with your nonprofit. So talk a little bit about um, us tomorrow, U.S. tomorrow and as it relates to the business community and what your goals are. Yeah. So uh, let's kind of go back to the, the origination of the idea for having U.S. tomorrow. And what I love about the name, and I love it when people get it right and wrong. It is either us tomorrow or the U.S. tomorrow. But either way, it's a perfect metaphor for what we're trying to do to bring folks together, uh, starting in Texas, but then going nationwide later on as we scale it. But, but the origination of U.S. tomorrow came from the fact that during the campaign trail, I'd be out meeting folks that were either Republicans, independents, Democrats, or no party affiliation at all. We were able to talk about issues like jobs and education and our kids' future in such a way that gave me hope and promise. Uh, but I remember distinctly, uh, the district also includes San Antonio and the Hill Country in addition to Austin. I was knocking on a guy's door on a Sunday afternoon. This is the Sunday, mind you, right before the Tuesday election. And uh, he's inside watching TV, probably a football game that Sunday. And I knock on the door and he kind of comes to the screen door through the light. Uh, I could kind of see him emerge out of the darkness. And he was like, hey, wait a minute. You're him. You were just on my TV. And I said, yes, sir. I'm Joseph Copps. We're running for Congress. He's like, I didn't even know you guys actually did this. I'm like, well, I do. And he goes, oh, man, you know, your military service. I love it. And the fact, you built a company, had some success, and then you turned around, and now you're helping veterans build their companies. He's like, that's what we need in Washington. And I was like, that is so refreshing to hear. I was like, do you mind if I just go ahead and write your name down as a yes vote so I can continue on because I got a lot of doors to knock on today? And he goes, well, vote for you? And I was like, well, yeah. And he goes, oh, hell no. What? I'm like, well, what part of this conversation did I miss? What goes, did I miss? Yeah, he's like, no, no, all that stuff is great, but you're a Democrat. You see, all you'll do is go and do whatever the Democrats tell you to do. Labels. Uh, and, 
you know, and he sat there and managed to spew off three or four different things that I know I've heard on cable news before that he was just repeating those lines. But the best part about why we were inspired to build U.S. tomorrow is when we were talking about the issues that mattered to him, like jobs and education, we, we were right in step. And so what we're trying to do uh, by focusing on jobs, really workforce readiness inside of the business area, is to recognize that not just here in Texas, but nationwide, if we don't get job training and education correct over the next five to 10 to 15 years, we're going to see a displacement of jobs and opportunity in this country, the likes of which we've never seen, because automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to replace whole industries fast. I mean, the last major job that was ever taken away in this country were positions like bookkeeper when, uh, you know, Excel spreadsheets started to emerge. And, and that technology took about 20 years to displace those jobs it's going to be hard for people to imagine until we get into these forums to talk about what it means to make sure people are ready for the 21st century to be able to change from one job to another. Uh, it's We call it mid-career transition, and there's a lot of people across the state of Texas that are trying to look at it. groups like Texas 2036, other groups like 60 by 30. They're trying to figure out how we get a trained and ready workforce for the needs of the 21st century. Oh, man. You're preaching to the choir here. So in my it, I, another hat that I wear is as uh, the founder of an organization called the Linda Laurel Scholarship Fund, and we need to have an offline conversation about that because we that. do a have a workforce component in relationship with the Greater Houston Partnership here in Houston, and it's all about workforce readiness. There are companies I know in the Greater Houston region that are truly terrified about where their future workforce is coming from. I had a conversation two days ago with an executive from Lyondell saying, we've got a group of of executives that are going to be retiring pretty much en masse. You know, they're all retiring at the same time and there's nobody to fill those positions. And the, and the, the students who are coming up a lot of times don't even know that these kinds of positions exist, that they're well-paying or what is required, et cetera. And I love the fact that you're connecting the dots between education, workforce, and the divides that are, that are engulfing us right now because it's all related. Yes. It's yes. all related. And workforce, yeah, workforce readiness is one of those few areas that has yet to be hijacked by hyper-partisanship. Uh, and that's why we're hoping to seize that as one of the first topics we talk about. And, you know, the Houston area is a great example of it as you've got this booming energy economy uh, that is both traditional oil and gas, but also renewables. And those are high tech jobs. Those require more than just a high school education, whether it's a two year associate's degree or specialty job training and education uh, provided by a local union or a four year degree, whatever it is, it's more uh skill intensive than what we're providing just at our current K through 12 high school diploma. Right, right. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're having another conversation later, but let me, let's get back to the, the, the topic or the, the point that you were making. I'm, I'm thinking about this conversation that you had with this voter as you knocked on his door and you're talking about, about I know, and you're, you're, you're aligning on the issues and it's like, but because of the label, he would not vote for you. How do we combat that? What is, yeah. what is U.S. Tomorrow doing to combat that? 
Well, one of the first things we're going to do, uh, you know, over the next six months is, is, is part of our capital campaign. Our fundraising is to remind people that are already out there today writing checks to candidates or writing checks to big packs to say, look, I get it, but you're just putting more money into the same system of today. So the first thing that we're doing is reminding people, hey, look, whether you're on the left or the right, as you're donating to the political process, consider a donation to us and this nonprofit so that we can work to improve the overall system so that we can uh, increase your return on investment as you're donating. So that's the first thing that we're doing. The second thing that we're doing is we're working with the 17 congressional districts that make up the Texas Triangle from the Dallas-Fort Worth area down to Houston, over to San Antonio and Austin. And we're trying to concentrate on them first because they represent a lot of this transition that you're talking about in terms of jobs moving from one area to another, new opportunities in the state. And if we can, after the primaries, bring together in every one of those 17 congressional districts, the leading candidates from both parties and if there's a third or fourth party involved as well, bring them to forums hosted by the local chambers, the school districts, areas where we're not going to get into the gotcha questions. We're not going to get into those areas and immediately divide a room uh, based on party label, as you were describing, but instead say, okay, we've been working with a, 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 uh, a survey group known as Polco. And what they're doing is cutting edge technology to really survey in real time people in the district, what their attitudes are, their confidence in the economy, their optimism for the future. Take all that survey data that we're already starting and in conjunction with the Texas Economic Development Council, we're marrying up that information to then say in these forums with these candidates, these are the concerns that your constituents have. These are the issues that they want you to focus on. What now will you say in this public forum about their concerns so that we can hold them accountable later on? And what I'm excited about is I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get into these forums and people on opposite sides of the aisle are going to hear candidates elected officials talking about these issues important to them and then realize that there's a lot more in common than they have that's dividing us. So that that's kind of the two step that we're doing that I think will be uh, successful as opposed to other groups. So I think the civic engagement piece is, uh, is critical. Um, and it, if I'm understanding what you said correctly, it's this platform that is going to allow citizens to literally voice their opinions about the issues that matter and then be able to take that data directly to the candidates and say, you know, this is what the citizens are saying. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Am I, am, I, am I understanding that correctly? You got it perfectly. The group P-O-L-C-O, Polco, uh, that's exactly what they do. And they, what they try to do is to overcome the problem that we have, which is the loud voices in the room oftentimes represent a minority or a very small aspect of the population. And what we're trying to do is get them to focus on what affects the majority of folks that are out there. And that's only through good survey data, which, oh, by the way, they cross-reference to the voter file to show that those people actually are constituents living in that district, because we also know that we have a problem with outside 
influence of voices that are out there in social media and Twitter and Facebook that aren't even your constituents. Right. Uh, so it's important to, uh, you know, d- distinguish between the two. So that's why I'd say all this is a new approach, but it's using existing groups and efforts that are out there. So TEDC, Polco, we've got other civic engagement partners like the Annette Strauss Institute and what they do with their ambassador program statewide across Texas, uh, using young people to work on projects, everything from voter registration to getting people more informed on the issues. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to take all these efforts and lasso them together in such a way that we get a better return on investment of time and money. So it's more about the the partnerships, because I was wondering how you how you actually reach the, the, the populace to let them know that this tool is available to them. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing that we're trying to do is figure out how to better use technology. So that's kind of the, the third component of what we do at U.S. Tomorrow. So the first is civic engagement, which we talked about. <clears throat> the second is support to first-time candidates, which we can talk about more later if you want. But it's that third piece to find the tools and technologies and the business practices that not only did I not see you know, existent at all or in very small amounts in the political industrial complex, um, but it's a real need to bring it in. And so to say it in a different way, 1987 called and it wants all of its technologies back, all of its ideas. I mean, you would be shocked to know how much political campaigns still do stuff just on paper, how much of it is put into a three ring binder and put up on a shelf. Seriously? Uh, Oh, oh my gosh. and they're not sharing between campaigns. Uh, now, I understand privacy issues, which by all means, let's keep privacy issues secure. Uh, but there's a lot of best practices uh, about what's going on in a district that as soon as a candidate is done or he or she ends their campaign, they put it in a shredder and they're done. So there's no continuity of effort from one candidate to another or one elected official to another. And it's all these kind of business practices and, and everyday technologies that the that uh, people, you know, trying to put, uh, you know, a roof over their head or pay their rent or put food on the table, they have to do and they have to be smart about. The political campaigns are run like very different beasts. And so I intend to try to improve that process as best I can. What What did you learn? What, what were your primary takeaways? from the race that you ran? Yeah, well, let's take it in all three aspects of what we're trying to do ES tomorrow. So civic engagement. There are too few people actually going to these events, too few people actually showing up and being participant. Now, I want to distinguish. There are those that go because they love it and they're passionate about community and we need more of them. But then we also have those that show up that this is all they know and all they do. And they are just out there for the come, you know, the combat aspect of it. And they're just there to stir the pot that uh, I affectionately refer to them as the wing nuts. <laughs> and these are people that get in the way of real progress. I had a woman one time basically tell me that I had no business running as a first time candidate because I had not been to her meetings over the last 20 years. And I looked at her and I said, well, ma'am, I do apologize, but I was running around the country in the United States Army for the last 20 years, but I got here as fast as I could. You know, and it's that kind of turf battle um, aspect of what's going on that turns people off Mm -hmm. to civic engagement. So there's a group that we partner with called Good Politics. As I like to say, they're trying to put the party back in party politics. 
What they want to do is get young people in their 20s and 30s out to events that don't have these barriers to entry, that don't act as, uh, as if you have to pass a certain political IQ test before you can even walk in the door. They just want to get people engaged. That's the first thing I learned from the campaign is that, A, there's too few people involved, and B, they're split between those that are doing it for the right reasons and those that are just trying to be barriers to progress. Second thing, support the first-time candidates. Holy cow, or should I say, the no support to first-time candidates. <laughs> and you would either be surprised or not surprised, depending on your cynicism towards the political-industrial complex, but we have two parties, the Republican and Democratic leadership in Washington, D.C., that have entrenched in their political-industrial complex a duopoly that gains nothing from new ideas and new competition and new ways of doing business. Because anybody in positions of leadership today benefit from the status quo. They benefit from the stagnation. I don't like to call it the swamp because that just adds even more of this political division. I'm talking about a business-like duopoly that controls everything from the finance and the uh, fundraising tools that people use to how we track data. It's all ripe for disruption, and I would love to disrupt it because first-time candidates are basically told, here are the people you're going to work with, here are the people you're going to hire, and here are the things you're going to do. Now go sit in the corner, make phone calls, and try to raise money. It's ridiculous. Thirdly, what I learned out on the campaign trail We've already talked about, but just to review it again, like I say, 1987 call, they want all their technologies and all their business practices back. But you can see, you know, as an entrepreneur from the outside coming into this, you can see why it happens. Every two years, for instance, if you're running at the congressional level, there's a whole new team and then there's a whole giant turnover and there's no continuity. Uh, there's even less coaching, teaching and mentoring of the, you know, the young 20 somethings that are coming into the progress, into the process, because they want to do right. They want to save the world, but they're learning from people who have only themselves done it a couple of years or or you might have somebody that's done it a while, but then he or she is promoted up to a higher level, to a Senate runner, to a presidential, meaning that at every level of the room, there's so much on-the-job training going on and so little continuity that we really need to improve those business prospects. So anyway, you asked for a simple question, but you got a long answer. No, I, I, I like that you that you yeah. you went so deep um, you know, into answering that and really kind of giving us a feel, because I think, especially with the second point that you made, we're, we're seeing the results of that kind of an approach in the the democratic uh, primary process as it's playing out right now, when you talk about first time candidates or 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 I guess younger candidates um, not being able to get not being able to just kind of run the campaign the way that they want to and they're they're treated differently it would appear that's that's the way it it appears to at least it does to me and it sounds like what you're saying is that it's because of the infrastructure and the way that that the the party system runs yeah yeah no absolutely yeah and again they have no incentive uh, to change to the change laws it exactly because it benefits them. So one of the things you said earlier was that you down the road you may get to a point you meaning uh, U.S. tomorrow may get to a point where it actually endorses candidates, and I'm curious about why you would do that if part of your mission is to stay in the middle and not not create any sort of partisan. Um, partisanship. So w- yeah. why is that part of the equation down the line? 
Well, we, we, we retain the ability to make a decision, which is why we're a C4. But right now, we don't plan to do it because we just want to get people to the table. But later on, in a perfect world, what we want to establish is a reputation of being a group that can truly come in and say, this candidate wants to work towards the issues that impact most people in the middle of that bell curve, regardless of political party. Okay. We want to be able to endorse candidates that want to work on jobs and education our kids future and the neat part about it is i could see a scenario down the road where we're not doing it on partisan reasons and there might be out of a slate of however many candidates let's call it 100 candidates at all levels that there would be some kind of a nice natural distribution of democrats and republicans Uh, you know and there are other groups nationwide that do similar efforts Uh, a group called no labels Um, which I'm a fan of and their work, they've got uh, a connection to the Problem Solvers Caucus inside the House of Representatives. And I believe at last uh, reading, they uh, still do a case where you can't join the caucus as a Democrat or a Republican unless you bring in a member of the opposite party to join so that the party, Mm. uh, the caucus stays perfectly balanced. I love that. That's that's a way to get at it too. We'd love to partner, uh, you know, keep conversations going with groups like them Mm -hmm. to see what we can do boots on the ground. You mentioned that you have um, children, young adults. Okay. And I'm curious about what you are telling them about the state of affairs of our nation right now and your efforts to try and do something about it. Yeah. I mean, you can't escape the way I look at you. You can't escape the current day unless you're trying to avoid it. And what I mean by that, it's so pervasive in our popular culture, in our movies, in our television, heck, even in our songs now, that folks can't help but notice what's going on. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything that I'm proud of is that regardless of how it turns out, when I'm hopeful that it'll turn out well, that my daughters will see that I tried to lead by example. That I tried to, upon seeing something that looked like it was broken, that I thought I could fix, that I went out there and did it. That's, as a dad, uh, role modeling that kind of of behavior for me is what I'm most proud of. In terms of their actual participation or, or interest in what we're doing, granted, these are my three kids, meaning that anything that their dad does, sometimes it comes off with an eye roll. It's like, oh boy, here we go again. He's off to do this. Um, so for me, I always have to keep that in balance, understanding that even though they may not be uh, as involved with the day-to-day details as I am, I do know, A, that they're watching, but B, I also know what also makes me proud is they know I'm doing it for them and their kids down the road. And that's what, you know, charges my batteries. That's what helps keeps me going as well. As you know, as we're recording this, uh, we're in the in the heat of the impeachment battle that's going on right now. Um, we're waiting for the the House to take its its full vote, and then it'll go on to the Senate, presuming that it 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 passes in the House. Um, what are what are your thoughts about um, what how this is all unfolding, and and how U.S. tomorrow might be able to play a role in uh, aside from what we've already talked about, from sort of bringing us together. I mean, because this is the hardcore politics we're talking about now. Yeah. 
Well, the role I hope we play is being that that, that, that island uh, of safety, or if you were whatever you want to call it, that that place to escape to. When people become more and more exhausted by what is not just the current political reality TV show that we live today, but when they are exhausted, they look for where where is this working? Where is it that I can go that I can talk about issues and not have to worry about being demonized because of my party affiliation one way or the other? That's what I'm really hopeful that they'll turn and they'll look and they'll see U.S. tomorrow and they'll say, okay, now that is an organization I want to be a part of. I want to go to their events because if it's got the U.S. tomorrow seal of approval, it means that we're coming to talk about real issues. We won't be getting into the gotcha questions. We aren't going to be trying to frame this in a way to expose or embarrass anybody. Uh, And that is what I'm most hopeful for. And the second part is people have to start asking the question, well, what's next? What's next? I mean, we are spinning in such a way in this political theater of today, uh, not because of Trump. And I love pointing this out. Trump did not cause this. Trump is feeding off of this. In in other words, if you and I was on a CNN interview about three years ago, I guess, 2016, uh, talking about this idea uh, as a Texan who was uh, further and further shocked by what was happening. Because, again, at the time, this was after the uh, Gold Star family. Trump got into the fight with Gold Star family. It, it was after he had said that John McCain was a loser because he got captured. It, you know, And this was impacting my sensibilities as an Army veteran, as a combat vet uh, who lost friends in combat, and to have someone who is aspiring to be president of the United States talking like this. Uh, And so for me, again, this isn't about being against Trump or for Trump. This is about saying, folks, this political theater we're in is dysfunctional. It helps no one because when whenever we're talking about the latest tweet or the latest outrage or whatever has been done doing to bait people to talk about himself, we're not talking about jobs. We're not talking about education. We're not talking about the underlying foundation. And. You know, it's when people get confused about what's really going on that they point to this or they point to that. Uh, you know, I, I, I love shaking my head and pointing out, I do understand that jobs continue to grow since our recession. I got it. But we also did pass a $17, tri- you know, $17 trillion, uh, excuse me, we did pass a tax cut in 2017 that led to another trillion dollars in debt. Uh, and someone's going to pay that bill mm-hmm. and it's not going to be, you know, mm-hmm. the, the baby boomers of today, uh, because unfortunately most of them won't be around to pay that, you know, in 30, 40, 50 years when all those debts come into place. So anyway, right. I'm just looking for, for finding that safe Harbor later on when people realize we can't go on with this exhausting political theater. So you get to do a shameless plug now. How can people get involved with U.S. tomorrow? What, what do you want people to do? What's the call to action? Well, thank you for that. First call to action, the easiest place to go to is the Internet, ustomorrow.us. You can find our website. There's a link at the bottom for signing up for our newsletter. Uh, I'm always shamelessly uh, accepting donations through our website to be able to help us build the staff that we need to be able to get this message out. And then the best thing they can do, whether they do it through U.S. tomorrow or not, is stay engaged. 
is on uh, Facebook, uh, on Twitter, in their newspaper, locally. And if they just show up to one city council meeting, if they just show up to one zoning meeting uh, a quarter, that alone will move the needle in such a way uh, that matters. But we'd love for them to channel that energy through US, tomorrow.us and any of our many partners that we have. Uh, and that's an opportunity for them to do something that uh, I, I think is great, which is to be a part of the solution. Uh, we often find people that talk about the problems, but when they want to actually be a part of the solution, we like to raise our hand and say, come pick us. And the one reason why we named it the way we did is, you know, here in Texas, one in 10 kids, or let me rephrase this, in the United States today, one in 10 kids in K through 12, one in 10 kids in K through 12 in the United States today live in the state of Texas. We are such a young state. We are such a growing state. And demographically, we're going to shift uh, the direction of the U.S. tomorrow, which means if we get it right here in Texas, we'll have a positive impact on the rest of the country. And that's what I remain hopeful to do. So you mentioned the, the, the opportunity to participate in, in data through Polco. How, how would an engaged citizen go about being invited to participate in that? Yeah. So it, the easiest way to do it is to go to our website, sign up newsletter. We've got a contact us button. You'll be able to connect to there. Uh, or they can write to me at joseph at us And based on where they live, we'll try to link them up with an organization in their area that might already be a partner with Polco and with US Tomorrow. And we'll get them involved there. Okay, great. Wonderful. So last couple of questions. Um, What's your biggest fear for our nation today as it as as things are right now? What's your biggest fear? Yeah, the biggest fear for the nation today is that we continue this hyperpartisanship. So regardless of what a person's concern is, the debt, national security, you know, Russian influence, climate change, no matter what issue it is, guns in our schools, gun violence or safety in our schools, no matter what the issue is. We cannot solve any of them with one party. It has to be both parties working together. It doesn't mean that one party has to have a supermajority or win all the votes. It just means that both parties, in other words, all elected officials, have got to realize the consequences, uh, the consequences of their actions and of their votes. And so what I'm worried about is if people continue this hyper-partisanship and this tremendous divide we're not going to be able to get to the table and have these conversations because it's going to be this, you know, bloodthirsty, rock throwing, uh, nasty partisan battle every single time we go to the polls and every time we sit down at the tables. And if that is what our elected officials are more worried about, this cutthroat world, they're not going to be talking about jobs. They're not going to be talking about workforce readiness. They're not going to be talking about what we need as a country going forward the next 50 years because they're only going to be worried about their political survival. And that's what we have to fix. And bringing this full circle to one of the first things that you said when we started talking, you talked about the teacher who Mrs. made Grievous. Mrs. Yeah. Grievy, Mrs. Grievous, Grievous, Mrs. Grievous. Grievous, who made such an impact on you on a human level. And that's what I'm always preaching is that the one to one, just the the one-to-one conversation relationships, if you had not had that kind of a one-to-one contact with that teacher, 
I won't say if you hadn't had it, but I will say that because you had it, yeah. it had such an impact on who you are as a human being and how you are now showing up in the world. You know, it's a good time for shout outs. In addition to Mrs. Grievous, outside of my family, uh, I spent a lot of time, like any kid growing up, at the kitchen tables of a lot of other friends. Uh, and it was my friend, Matt Childers, his mom, Jenny, and my other friend, Adam Carriero, his mom, Hetty. Uh, that as I listen to them, you know, just explain how the world works in their eyes and outside of my family, you know, those three people had an outsized influence on how I saw the world. Uh, and, and I just had a, a rare opportunity to speak at the Texas Macomb School of Business uh, fall graduation, which was last uh, Saturday before last. And I reminded all of them is that people will be what they can see. People will be what they can see. And so if you can role model for others, and by the way, I said it's not if you can, but you are already role modeling behaviors for others. The question is, are you doing it in a positive light or in a negative light, making things worse, or are you making things better? Uh, that once people realize that connection, uh, things will get better. And then most importantly, what I reminded all of them uh, is to, to recognize that it, every problem I've ever faced always comes down to people. And so to this, to your point, bringing it full circle with the U.S. tomorrow, it is that one-on-one -on -one connection, uh, whether it be at a forum, after a forum, online, and just something to get people past this immediate assumption that the other party is a terrible group or that, you know, that there's no hope for them or that group or they or whatever it might be. But in the end, we have more in common uh, than that what separates us. Joseph Kopser, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I wish you the very best with U.S. tomorrow. I am going to sign. Actually, I've already signed up, so I'm already getting your newsletter. And um, I look forward to partnering with you in whatever way we can to help spread your message, because I think you're doing really important work for our country. Well, thank you, and thanks for taking an interest. Well, thanks so much again, Joseph, and thank all of you for watching and listening, for giving Joseph permission to speak, and for having the courage to listen. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.